Good morning, Westside Family Church. It is so great to see you. We have in all of our services all over the place, Speedway here, online, we have people who are coming for the very first time, and they're asking the question, what's this church all about? So we have this thing called the Heart of Westside, and instead of me just shouting it out, I want you to shout it out for our newcomers today so they know what this place is all about. We're going to put it on the screen behind you, but if you don't need it, don't look at it. I'm not looking at it. Here we go. Ready? We are God's family. Loving Jesus, becoming like Jesus, sharing Jesus, to raise up Christ-centered families in our city and beyond. How? By wrapping God's family around your family. And that's what we want to do for those of you who are here maybe for the first or second or third time. Also, I want to let you know that this Heart of West Side has now been with us since like 2020, and it's become a real important driver for our church, along with seven values. You heard one of them in the video, God is generous and so are we, that's our generosity value. We have a value, God's word, we live and die by it. Or another one, prayer, we don't move without prayer. There's seven of them that drive the way in which we make decisions. Well, like uh, every church, uh, uh, the churches have what's called bylaws, and bylaws are important documents that tell the government and everybody what this church is all about, and uh, for the last, I don't know, 20, 30, whatever years, in our bylaws, it states a mission that we no longer really uh, refer to and values that we no longer refer to, and so we want to update the bylaws to reflect where we are at today, Right? And so, but in order to do that, the congregation has to be okay with it. So we have to call some meetings. So here's the deal. We're going to do a pre-family meeting uh, today at 1230 in the South Sanctuary. So if you can hang around just for a few moments, we're going to share with you what the changes are. And then in December, we'll have our annual gathering where we'll actually vote on it. So I encourage you to be a part of that. Also, Trish has already mentioned it, but I want to take a special note to, um, to acknowledge any veterans we have here at Speedway Online. If you are a veteran, uh, uh, I would encourage you to stand up so we can just acknowledge you and honor you and thank you for your service. Any veterans here today? There we go. We want to thank you for your service for sure, and particularly how crazy the world is, particularly what's going on over in Israel and the Gaza Strip. We just recognize how you've put your lives in harm's way, and we want to thank you for your service. So happy Veterans Day. Let's pray. Father, we now come to your word. We open up our minds, our hearts, and our hands to receive what you have for us today. We pray this in the name of Jesus and all of God's people said... So today we are going to define what solid rock joy looks like through the life of a generous person. And what we're going to discover is that the joy we receive in giving to another person is actually an expression of the joy we receive from God's grace and his love. And that how you give, according to scriptures, is actually more important than what you give. So today we find ourselves in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. We've been studying 8 and 9, and today we find ourselves in chapter 9 of 2 Corinthians, and we're going to look at just verses 6 through 8. 
What we've seen in the last few verses that Paul has been speaking to the church at Corinth and trying to convince them or help them set aside their skepticism about a pledge, a commitment they made a year ago to help the church in Jerusalem. The church in Jerusalem was struggling, and Paul has just tried to use or convince them by using rational thinking and reasoning. He spent some time talking about how the offering was going to be handled. But then in verse 6, he shifts gears back to the heart of the giver, the heart of the matter, because Paul knows that giving is really not ultimately about logistics, but rather it's about the posture of the heart. So you can open up your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 8. It's also contained in the Westside app along with some notes for today's topic. Let me read it to you. Paul writes, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each one of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God who is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Now, before we can get access to a life of solid rock joy, we have to first acknowledge uh, the barriers that are standing in the way of experiencing joy in our giving. And I'd like to suggest that for many of us, the mindset of generosity and giving and attitudes about money might have come from our family upbringing or the culture in which we were raised in. For example, for me, my parents uh, were born and raised in southwest Pennsylvania, a cold town, and they were poor. Particularly, my mother talked about in her earlier days when their home was a dirt floor. We're talking Pennsylvania, cold. And so uh, when they got married with their eighth grade educations, my mom and my dad, they set out for Cleveland, Ohio. I was three years old, and their goal was maybe a better life than was available to them in the coal country. My dad landed a blue-collar job with tow motor that later became Caterpillar, the forklift division. And I remember growing up as a kid, my mom was a stay-at-home mom, uh, the many times that my dad was laid off in union issues, and there was always that sense that we were on the edge. As a matter of fact, my mom told me that they never had more than $1,000 in their checking account at any given time. And my parents were not followers of Jesus, and so I did not witness that sort of Holy Spirit stirring in them to live a life of generosity. As a matter of fact, I don't recall a single time in our household, at least that I was aware of, that my parents gave resources to any cause or anyone except on one occasion every year. My dad donated money to the Fraternal Order of Police. He donated it, but he also later told me the reason he donated it is so that he could get a sticker. 
and he could stick that sticker on his window so that if he got pulled over by a police officer, they would possibly let him go. Not exactly the motivation that God is going for in our generosity, right? Some of you have the sticker, take it off. Yeah, so... For me, it influenced my thinking, so much so that at the age of 16, as I started, actually started working at 14, and at the age of 16, I was already laying out handwritten spreadsheets on the money that was coming in and the money that was going out. I watched it like a hawk. And to this day, that if Roseanne and I find even a penny on the ground, we go after it. And if we can't find the owner of the penny, we stick it in our pocket and we celebrate when that penny makes its way into a little jar. And then after we get 50 of them, I roll it up and I take it to the bank that it might gain interest over the long period of time. Yeah. And you know, that attitude is a good attitude, but it can go too far. It can actually go too far. So I wonder, as you reflect on your family upbringing and the culture you were raised in, how has it possibly affected uh, your life of generosity and giving and your perspective on money? Now, I feel like that there are three mindsets that need to be shaken and broken and confronted if we're ever to get at this solid rock joy that God wants us to experience. And so what I want to do is I want to present these three mindsets, and as I do, reflect on which one best represents where you're at. Now, the first one is called the scarcity mindset. And I confess, as you just heard my story, that is the mindset that I have had and continue to have to overcome. The scarcity mindset is not hard it is a, to understand. It is a constant fear that we're never really going to have enough. It's the constant fear that if I give, what happens if I don't have enough left over for me and for my family? And so, therefore, the person with the scarcity mindset oftentimes doesn't give anything out of fear, or if they, if they, they do, they give typically to God and to others the leftovers and the scraps. Now, the second mentality is what we're calling the skepticism mentality. And here we have a, a person who is in constant doubt or an unwillingness to see that there can be things out there that are good and pure and worthy to give to. It's a constant sense of distrust in others and organization. It's a constant questioning, where's the money going to? And I could probably manage it better. And a person with a skepticism mindset oftentimes doesn't give because they don't trust. And if they do give, they're grumpy about it the entire time. And that is not, as we've just read, the heart of what God is going for. The third mindset and final one is what we're calling the entitlement mindset. This is the mindset where we feel we have the right to everything that is ours, that everything that we have is ours. I've earned it, or it's been given to me, and I'm an American, and no one can tell me nothing about what I'm going to do with my money. And the entitlement mindset, the person has the spotlight all on them. Everything is about them. Everything is about the excitement of the next purchase. Everything is all about them. The mindset is often nurtured in an environment, maybe in your home, of being spoiled or this attitude that you deserve it 
even though most people don't have access to it. Now, I don't know which mindset you identify with. I'd love for you to take a mental note of which one best describes you. Maybe none of them best describes you. Maybe there is another mindset that's keeping you from this uh, access to a life of joy. But one thing I I know is that we're going to need to acknowledge it, shout it out loud, and confess it if we're ever going to gain access to the kind of joy that God wants us to have through generous living. So Randy Frazee shouts out, God, I acknowledge and I confess that I am fighting the scarcity mentality and it's keeping me from experiencing the full joy you have for me. Help me, help me, Holy Spirit, to do that. And when we do that, we can call upon the Holy Spirit to come and to challenge us and to, and to renew our minds. There's a pastor, his name is Warren Wiersbe, He passed away a number of years ago. I just love this guy. I got a chance as a young theology student to sit under his teaching and got to meet him. It was a real joy for him. Here's something that he said. He said, giving is not something we do. Giving is something that we are. Giving is a way of life for the Christian who understands the grace of God. Giving is a way of life for the follower of Jesus It is not a specific action, it is not a tradition, it is not a ritual, it is a way of life. Giving is a part of who we are as followers, and we give because God has undeservedly already given everything to us. That's the mindset. You've heard the phrase, you cannot outgive God, right? Many of you have heard, you can't outgive God, and you can't. You can't outgive God for what he has already given you. He has taken your life out of bondage and given you eternal life. There is nothing you have that can pay him back for giving that to you, let alone all the things he desires to give you in the remaining days that you have on this earth. So, if giving is truly a way of life for followers of Jesus, and we are to focus solely on the the place or the posture from which we are to give more so than the amount that we give, the question is, what does the scripture say should be our posture? How do we go about it? How do we truly embrace and embody this posture so that we might experience solid rock joy? So in the three verses that I just read, I wanna unpack them because Paul is going to present three postures that are going to challenge, going to confront the three mindsets that keep us from experiencing this joy. So three proper positions to solid rock joy. The first one is found in verse 6. Take a look at it. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. I'm calling this a posture of dependence. A posture of dependence, being dependent upon God, taking risk, and sowing generously. And if we do so, this will confront the mindset of scarcity. You see, when a farmer sows a seed, he sows it it, uh, generously because he knows if he doesn't sow generously, there's no opportunity to reap generously. But he also sows in utter dependence upon God. It is a trust thing. 
you have to, as a farmer, you have to trust that God is going to multiply the seed that you have sown. You are dependent upon God for rain. You are dependent upon God for sun. You're dependent upon God for a perfect season. And it's completely out of the farmer's control. And yet, he takes the seed which he has purchased, the precious seed, and he has the decision to make. If he doesn't sow it, there's no potential reaping of a harvest. And so he must, in this moment, he must decide to cast it, to let it go, that by faith, God is going to multiply it. And so it is true of our life. God gives us so that we might be able to sow it with great generosity and we trust him. As a matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians, the first book that Paul wrote to the church of Corinthians, in, verse cha- in chapter 3 and verse 7 he writes, So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. So we must trust and believe if we give generously that God will take it and do amazing things with it beyond what we've ever dreamed or imagined. Okay, posture number two is found in verse seven. Take a look at it. Each one of you should give what you have decided to give in your heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. You've heard that phrase before if you've been in church for a while. The question is, what does it mean and what does it look like that God loves a cheerful giver? Does it mean that we should skip down to the front of the church with our offering in hand? I can't even skip. I haven't done that in a while. And uh, (laughs) smiling ear to ear and giving willingly to the Lord? I mean, maybe that's your posture. That would be cool. When I think of that, I think of Will Farrell as Elf skipping down to the front of the church service, giving his offering and saying, giving is my favorite, right? That's what I think of. So maybe that's a little bit of an overkill for you. You're not going to do that. You're not going to skip and you're not going to smile. But Paul is recommending that at the very base, you have what I'm calling a posture of desire. A posture of desire is going to bump up against the the skepticism mindset that so many of us carry. So oftentimes, a person with the skepticism mindset puts on these glasses of skepticism, and it shapes and it colors everything in distrust or disbelief. It shapes it all. But instead, if we were to change and put on the glasses of desire, all of a sudden we see things differently. We see the amazing possibility that God could use our little generosity to make transformation in so many other people's lives. And a desire wells up within you where you ultimately just want to give it all away. That's the posture of desire. I came across a true story in Instagram. It's a cute story. It's a simple story, but it makes it accessible to us. A teacher wrote this post. She said, this morning during first period, my kids could tell that I was a little off. When they asked why I wasn't acting normal, I explained to them that my husband's father had passed away this weekend and that I was worried about him. They all said they were sorry, and then we got started on our work. While standing at the door giving hugs and high fives at dismissal to second period, one little girl put something in my hand. She told me, this is for your husband. 
I know it was real expensive when my daddy died, and I don't really want ice cream today anyways. She handed the teacher three quarters with a note that read, Miss Lawrence, I'm sorry. Yeah. This little girl's posture of desire was greater than her desire for ice cream. How could that even be possible, right? How could that even be possible? This is radical stuff. But here's the deal. This little girl knew the pain and difficulty of losing her father. And she thought, maybe, just maybe, if I sacrifice my ice cream money, it might bring an ounce of relief to this man and bring a little joy to his life. And here's the deal. Here's the transaction. Whenever through your generosity... You minister to somebody and you see relief and joy in their face, it's going to turn around and it's going to put relief and joy in your heart. Yeah. Okay, finally, Paul confronts our entitlement mindset in verse 8. Let's read it. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things and at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. The only way to combat the fear that you're having in giving, whether it's financially, emotionally, or even giving of your time, is believing in the all-encompassing nature of God's blessing. I'm calling this third posture the posture of declaration. It confronts the entitlement mindset because it's solely focused on being grateful to God for what he has done and what he will do. It gives us the opportunity to live in hope and have the ability to sacrifice because we know that God will bless us abundantly, as the scripture says, in all things, at all times, in all that we need, and has nothing to do with me. In the entitlement mindset, the spotlight is focused on me. Yeah. It's all about me. But whenever we shift from an entitlement mindset and shift to a declaration, a a position of declaration, the spotlight goes from me and it goes to the cross. It goes to the cross. And, And in doing so, it is all grounded in thankfulness. And one of the fruits of thankfulness and gratitude is joy. Let me say that again. One of the fruits of thankfulness, heart, a mind of thankfulness and gratitude is joy. Neuroscientists have recently been able to study the brain and it has concluded that a person cannot fear and experience gratitude at the same time. That when we take up a position of gratitude, for what God has done and promises to do for us, then it washes away the fear. There are so many people who are part of this wonderful church who who struggle with the mindsets that we've talked about, but I've watched you over these years take on the posture that Paul is talking about here and has brought you solid rock joy. I can see it in your face. We could do so many stories, but we had to pick one. So I want you to take a look 
at this story of solid rock joy. My wife and I grew up in, in uh, Christian families, uh, farm families, you know, where we didn't have a lot necessarily, but we knew that our parents were tithing. That wasn't a question. Right. And, um, and they were faithful to give. From the time we got married, it wasn't a question that we would, that we would give, that we would give our tithe and, and we would give beyond that. So in um, 2008, we got connected with a ministry called Young Life, and it was a, an opportunity to reach teenagers with the gospel who hadn't ever heard the gospel before. We came home, uh, talked to our church about Young Life Ministry and getting started with Young Life Ministry. Uh, they encouraged us to go do that. <laughs> but that meant that we were leaving the security of having a monthly paycheck a salary, mm -hmm. and moving into a ministry where you have to fundraise your own income. For uh, seven months, we went without an income at all. Nothing, no deposits into our, into our account. And to mm -hmm. see God provide for us during those seven months, um, some of the ways um, that we experienced his provision was in just the crazy generosity of other people. I remember coming home, um, I don't remember where I, where I was at, but um, I, I showed up at home and I see groceries covering our kitchen countertop. And <clears throat> when we started the journey with Young Life, um, you know, I remember, you know, being on my knees with Courtney, you know, at our bedside in that little wheelhouse and recognizing what, that it was what God called us to do. And, and then the experience later was that, that we got to see how God came through. You can't buy that. You can't provide for yourself in that way. We got to the place where our resources were gone and we had to consider another source of income besides Young Life. And so Ryan went and got another um, or a second job at um, Lake Mary, which is a residential facility that houses and provides for um, kids with special needs. At this point, We've now had another child as well, so we have four children. He had been working at Lake Mary for maybe six months and started coming home every day saying, Courtney, this, this boy, I've fallen in love with him, he needs a home, he's going to need to go into foster care. Like, is there any way we could do this? And I was very hesitant, but I felt in my prayer time that God was asking me to just take one step at a time. A year later, um, we had our um, therapeutic foster care license. Every time we, we took these steps into saying yes, moving forward, um, these were times where we couldn't see the whole picture. It was difficult and there were challenges and lots of unknowns, 
we can look back on those things and say, man, God, you are faithful. Like, like you came through. So I gotta say that we're, you know, in that situation again with unshakable, you know, where, where, <laughs> where, where it's like, I don't see how you're gonna come through, God. I don't see how you're gonna work out all the details. But we've had such an experience with him that it's like, I know he will. <laughs> I know he will. Show up, Lord. I know. I, you know, Unshakable for us isn't just about a two-year commitment. It's about what our kids are gonna see and what they're gonna do with their families, how they're gonna be faithful, you know, when when they're faced with the same types of situations, you know, are they gonna spend their money on this? Are they gonna spend their money on, on listening to God and seeing what God wants to do in their lives? And I think that we're on the same page. We want one thing rather than the other. You know, we want them to just lean into God. Yeah. To recognize that He He's good, that He provides. If I if I look back at where we started our unshakable journey, where yes, it it would have been a stretch, but it was still doable. We might have even taken credit for it. However, the place where we are now, only God get, can have credit for this. And he's the one who deserves the glory in the first place. He's the one who deserves um, the glory for the whole unshakable journey. He could make this happen like that, but he calls us to be a part of it. And he calls us to be obedient. Maybe there are others who are in the tension-filled spot that we are, where mm. we don't know quite what it's going to look like, but we just encourage you also to finish strong. Hold in your heart the moment of commitment and know that that is God asking you to be a part of what He wants to do and what He can do and what only He has the resources to do. We just get to be a part of it in our obedience. That's a beautiful picture of solid rock joy. Yeah. So this Wednesday night is um, Wednesday night commitment for our students. Our students lead out, and uh, there'll be an opportunity. They'll come, and they will present their unshakable commitment cards. And then this coming Sunday, as we go into Thanksgiving, will be the opportunity for the rest of us. And um, we gave you one of these cards at the first week, and maybe you don't have one. You can pick up one. We'll have them available. We certainly want you to continue to pray, particularly more intensely this week. Um, it'll be th we want everyone to participate. So you'll, uh, you'll see in the card there's an opportunity for those of you who have come uh, since we started Unshakable and you want to get in and make a 13-month commitment. And then there are those of us who have already made a commitment. Uh, we have an opportunity just to write down, we're on track, we're trusting God. You can still count on it. We're coming in. And then there's going to be an opportunity for those of you who already made a commitment to said, you know, God is speaking to us about doing even more. And we've talked to several people that have made that decision. It's what, however God leads you. And so we want 100% participation for anyone who calls Westside home. And uh, it's a beautiful experience. If you weren't here last year, it's just a beautiful experience of worship and what it looks like when the body of Christ comes together 
and realizes that God wants them, wants us to sow generously so that we can reap for the kingdom of God generously, that the spotlight is not on me. That's a horrible way to live, but rather it's upon something bigger than ourselves. It's upon the kingdom of God and that we've got the privilege of participating. And you see that expressed in a worship service. Even if you plan to give nothing, I want you to come and witness this uh, in the life of people who've given their life to Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let's be standing to our feet. Father, now we enter into a time, a posture of declaration where we declare who you are and we thank you for what you've done in our lives, recognizing we can never outgive you for what you've already given us and yet you have more in store for us. May we now in faith declare that you are our God and that we love you. We pray this in the name of Jesus and all of God's people said, amen. amen.